You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. If we are in the roaring 20s, could we have a continued melt up in equities? And if bond yields flare up again, how content will the Fed be in sitting on the sidelines? For all of this and more, plus gold, leverage, and the Federal Reserve's latest minutes, I have the pleasure of being joined by Jared Dillian of the Daily Dirt Nap. Jared, welcome back to the Daily Briefing. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Jared, you were on two weeks ago. And since then, credit spreads have continued to go lower. You know, the VIX is now in the teens. Meanwhile, U.S. equities have surged and, you know, it's pretty much everything that's been going up. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, the, the roaring 20s narrative uh, seems to be emerging. So how are you making sense of, you know, the financial uh, data, the market price action, as well as the very rosy economic data that we've been seeing coming down the tape? Yeah, you know, I think back to 2008, uh, when I first started the newsletter, and when I started the Daily Dirt Nap, I was really reading a lot about Kondratiev theory. I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to that, but it's it's about long wave economic cycles, right? Basically, like one cycle is about 80 years, and you have different seasons. So you have like a winter, a fall, a summer, and a spring, and they last about 20 years. And um, what I've been thinking about today is the idea that you know, back in 2008, we were in a deflationary bust, okay? Prices were falling. Uh, we were in a debt-driven recession. It was a deflationary bust. And, you know, what's funny is, is that people are really good at surviving, okay? So 13 years later, they have memory of that event. And they say, you know, they were scarred by it. And they say, you know, I never want to go through this again. So sometimes I get questions like, is the market going to crash? And I'm talking about from like inexperienced investors. They say, is the market going to crash or are we going to go into a recession? And my answer to that is actually, no, the opposite is going to happen. Instead of having a deflationary bust, we are having an inflationary boom. And the, I can't, I mean, you have to go back to World War II the last time that happened um, which is what made me think of the Kondratiev cycles. I mean, even in the 70s, we didn't have an inflationary boom. We had an inflationary bust. So this is very different. And we need a new playbook to deal with this. And you mentioned credit spreads. You mentioned the VIX. You mentioned stocks going up. Um, you know, I have been sort of bearish on growth versus tech. I mean, sorry, growth versus value. I've been more bullish on value and, uh, you know, that's the way I've been playing. My entire portfolio is pretty much in value. But, yeah, I mean, I don't really see a scenario in the near future where stocks go down. You know, I don't think we get a 10 percent correction. It just doesn't look like it's in the cards, you know. Yeah. So, Jared, let's get into that, because I've been hearing a few people saying that, yes, the economy is red hot right now. The economy is booming before our very eyes. But that's going to help those value stocks that don't comprise a significant part 
the index and the growth stocks that do, whether it's FANGs or the Teslas of the world as well, you know, they will be hurt by rising bond yields. Are you saying that that seems like, you know, it's kind of a vanity trade to say that the economy is going to roar uh, alongside with inflation, but actually the market will go down? You're saying, no, you, you obviously the economy is, is red hot right now, but you are constructive on equities, the broad market. Uh, I mean, constructive, but also I don't care. Like, <laughs> I think there's I think there's better ways to make money than just by buying spots. OK, I think you can do better than that. And, you know, to get into a little more detail on the value, um, I think you mentioned that bonds had the worst quarter since 1981 or something like that. I think there's going to be some consolidation here, but ultimately, I think yields go higher. I think they continue to go higher. Um, it's you know, given given how hot the economy is, and really, you know, what a lot of people for, this is very interesting. What a lot of people forget about with bond yields, you have people who make forecasts with interest rates, and they talk about productivity, and they talk about the money supply, and they talk about inflation. None of that matters. Interest rates are determined by the supply and demand for government bonds. That's it. That's what determines interest rates. And we are going to have a massive amount of supply. You know, we're talking about this $2 trillion plus infrastructure plan. We're going to be doing more stimulus after that. We're going to spend at least $10 trillion this year. So we're going to have mass amounts of supply. And because inflation is picking up for a variety of reasons, which we'll get into, you know, demand for bonds is declining or becoming less attractive because even as yields go up, real yields are still negative. Jared, let's get into that. Uh, tell us the signs that you're seeing that the economy is getting so hot that you think inflation is on the horizon and that's making bonds less attractive, as well as the you know, large amount of stimulus into the economy that has to be paid for by by issuing bonds. Give us both sides of the picture. All right. I mean, just for example, you know, uh, I'm here in Myrtle Beach and uh, I don't pack a lunch. I go out to lunch every day, which is why I'm fat. Right. <laughs> because I just I eat burgers every day. So I go out to lunch and uh, I went out today and they had one person working in the kitchen. One. And because the people who would ordinarily be working in the kitchen, they can't pay them enough because they're getting paid more with the stimulus and the unemployment benefits. So they're staying home. This is a town with a huge hospitality industry, lots of hotels, lots of restaurants. The hotels don't have housekeepers. The, the restaurants don't have cooks. They don't have servers. Because basically what's going on is the private sector has to bid against the government for talent. You know, and, and that what, what we're getting is is the beginning of wage inflation. And throughout my whole career, you know, of 22 years, whenever you talked about inflation, people would always say, well, you can't have inflation until you have wage inflation. And now we're starting to get wage inflation and that's going to continue. And, I, you know, if you go back to the 70s, we they talked about this wage price spiral Right. So wages go higher. So people have more money. So they spend more money, which makes prices go higher, which makes wages go higher just in this cycle. And that's what we're going to get into. So, you know, I'm comfortable making a call for next year. I think in 2022, we'll have four percent inflation. I think that's I think that's eminently possible. You know, so this is this is not this is a very bad environment for bonds. Let's put it that way. And Jerry, you think that this environment is here to stay? 
Was it, would, would that characterize that right? Because the word that so many people are using is transitory. Yes, inflation, CPI is going to pick up, but that's just because of base effects. It's just because you're, par- you're comparing the consumer price index year-over-year change to you know a deflationary death spiral a year ago. But that, that's just base effects. It's just transitory. And we're going to you know, reemerge into that secular disinflationary thing. What do you say to that? I think the driver of inflation here is the government. The government is the driver of inflation. And I think the stimulus is going to become a permanent feature of our government spending. I think we'll have two, three or four stimulus bills a year, and this will turn into something that kind of walks and talks like basic income. And then you'll have this, you'll you really, really get the wage inflation. And I think I think this is going to continue. I mean, look, it's really hard to make predictions out further than a couple of months. But assuming all these trends stay in place, I think that we are we are in an inflationary boom. And I think we're going to have inflation for the next few years at a minimum. Jerry, typically the stopper on inflation can be the Federal Reserve as it raises the federal funds rate, thus drawing liquidity out of the economy and and into the fixed income market. I think I, I read in your latest of the Daily Dirt Nap, that when, whenever the uh, ISM came in above uh, 50, or, or I forget the exact number, that, that was a, automatically a cue that the Federal Reserve was going to raise rates. But I, I kind of laughed when reading that, because on Monday, of course, we got the ISM services reading, which came in at a booming 63.7. But something strikes me, Jared, something tells me that that's not going to give the Federal Reserve any pause. Yeah. I mean, that was the highest reading of all time, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the way it used to be uh, several years ago, you know, back in the 2000s. If ISM went above 50, then the Fed was going to hike. Um, you know, we're starting to price in one rate hike in 2022. Um, maybe that even seems a little bit optimistic. I mean, the Fed is, you know, you would think that before they hike rates, they would stop the corporate bond liquidity programs. They would stop quantitative easing. They would stop all that stuff. I kind of don't see that happening. Um, you know, basically we are printing record ISM numbers and the Fed still has all these emergency measures in place. And that's really the key word here is that all the quantitative easing that the Fed is doing was done as an emergency measure during the pandemic. Pandemic, for all intents and purposes, is over and they are still doing the emergency measures and we'll have these emergency measures for years. And that's a problem. So. Um, and, and also, I think I think the whole psychology of the Fed has changed. Um, you know, we used to be able to the Fed's job wasn't to prevent recessions. And now I believe I believe they they think it's their I, I think they view it as a failure if a recession happens. And I think as long as one person is unemployed, they will be easing monetary policy uh, to make sure that person gets a job. Jared. Typically, the stopper on the Federal Reserve being too loose is the bond market. But over the past month, as bond you know bond yields went to that 1.75% on the 10-year, which seemed to be a trigger point for growth stocks, since then we've been trading in that range. And you know, Fed Powell, uh, Fed Chair Powell seemed to sort of almost dare the bond vigilante, yes, sell your bonds. I don't care. I'm, I'm focusing on unemployment and price stability. Uh, since, since then, it seems like the bond vigilantes haven't really uh, called Fed Chair Powell's bluff. What do you make of that? Um, yeah, we're doing. We're in a little consolidation here in the bond market. Um, like, I, you know, I'll just go back to what I said before. Interest rates are determined by supply and demand for government bonds. So, you know, once this infrastructure bill passes, 
you know, and some of this spread, some of this spending is going to be spread out over a period of years, but the auctions are going to get bigger. I mean, you'll go from like 60 billion in sevens to 80 billion in sevens and primary dealers are not really participating and it's the auctions are going to be sloppy. It's going to be a mess. I mean, it seems like the bond market is taking a break right now, but I think I think that's transitory. I think we're going to I think we're going to have some more excitement in the bond market in the next couple of months. Okay, Jared, let's take, uh, let's say that happens, that there is some excitement in the bond market, long bonds sell off. Let's say the 30 year goes up to 3%. Where do you think the Fed, how do you think the Fed will react to that? Because on the one hand, they like steep yield curves uh, because it's a sign that the, the bond market thinks that economy, that the economic growth is going to happen. But on the other hand, you know, it, it increases the cost of debt. It increases the cost of mortgage refinancings, which I for, forget if it was today or tomorrow or yesterday, but there were some bad numbers uh, from the mortgage market. Um, you know, wh what do you think the Fed will do if uh, long bonds sell off to a degree? Are they going to enact yield curve control? What do you think? Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, in the days of an independent Fed, uh, an independent Fed wouldn't care about the government debt burden. I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with monetary policy. It doesn't have anything to do with their mandates. Um, the difference this time is that Janet Yellen is Treasury Secretary. She used to be chair of the Fed. She has a relationship with Powell. And uh, I, th I think that Fed independence over the last four or five years has been eroded. Um, and I think that, you know, this is this is really what the Austrians warned about for years is that the central bank would be used for political purposes. And if you're talking about minimizing the interest on the debt, that's political purposes. So that's a possibility. So that brings, you know, they've been talking on and off about yield curve control for a while. Um, I think that will happen at some point. Uh, I, th I think it happens a lot later than most people do. Um, I think the bond market would have to get really, really sloppy in order for them to do that. Maybe when tens are a two and a half percent or higher, that's a possibility. But when that happens, you know, that's that's going to be a, that's going to be a sea change. And that's, you know, as I said, in one of my newsletters, that's the biggest financial event since 1971. So and can you explain why that is, Jared? Why is it the biggest financial event since 1971 when when Nixon went off the gold standard? Um, because, you know, the price, the in interest rates are the most important price in the economy. And and if they are not allowed to equilibrate supply and demand, then we're going to have distortions. So what you're seeing, you know, interest rates are rising right now. The economy is getting stronger. Interest rates are going up. That should be viewed as a good thing. But if they are not allowed to continue to rise and act as a break on growth, then we, real, we really will have unlimited growth and unlimited inflation. So I think if, uh, if we did have yield curve control, I think the dollar would go down a lot. I think gold would go up a lot. And I think the, I think the economy would go into hyperspeed. So... Thanks. Okay, Jared. So let's take your view of how the economy is going to go. Bond yields are going to sell off. Um, you know, the economy is going to be red hot. People are going to reopen. Economic growth is going to be very high. People are going to start new businesses. Unemployment is going to continue to decline. How are you thinking about positioning a portfolio around that macro environment? I don't really have an answer to that. You know, I've been sort of, you know, talking about that in my newsletter. 
I've been, I'm, look, I spend a lot of time trying to think of what stocks to buy. Um, you know, I still think the answer is value, but I'm really, I'm struggling to come up with, I'm struggling to come up with a portfolio that has the maximum gearing to that scenario, right? The most leverage to an inflationary boom. So I've been thinking about it and I don't, I don't have the answer yet. You know, I just don't. So. Okay, well, uh, in that case, Jared, how about I throw a couple ideas at you? I, I know you've been bullish on the airlines. Um, right before this, I was looking at a chart of just the the twenty day moving average of U.S. TSA checkpoint numbers. So the daily throughput of how many people are actually going on planes, pretty much, and it's at one point four million. Um, you know, two weeks ago when we spoke, it was a lot lower. Now it's at one point four million. It, it's you know the economy is growing. So how are you thinking about uh, the airlines? I think to give it one example. Well, I own an airline. I won't say which one, you know, that's proprietary, but I do own an airline. And, you know, I, that's, I've had that position for six to eight months, something like that, basically on the thesis that, I mean, you know, if you go back six or eight months ago, we were still in the middle of a pandemic and things were still pretty bleak. And I said, look, you know, at the time I said, when this ends, we are, people are going to travel in unprecedented numbers. And I think that number will eventually get to 2 million and higher, 2 million travelers per day. And I think that's going to happen pretty fast. Um, so the airlines have already come up a lot. I think they will still go higher. I don't know how much higher. But, yes, that's, you know, that's a possible way to play it. Um, it, it, would, it, would, it, was, it was better to buy those stocks a year ago, you know. Definitely. Yeah. How are you thinking about energy and commercial real estate? Uh, still bullish on energy, have a large position in energy. That really hasn't changed in a while. Uh, the last time uh, I came on the daily briefing, we talked about commercial real estate. We talked about SL Green. Um, you know, SL Green is one of my holdings, and that's come up quite a bit. I think it's higher than the last time we talked about it. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about New York. Um, I'm starting to get concerned about the taxes and uh, some of the stuff the city council is doing. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't look, it doesn't look good in the long term. Um, so I'm starting to have some doubts about that position, but in general, maybe not New York specific, but commercial real estate is, you know, especially in an inflationary boom is going to be a great place to be. So, yeah. And maybe if it's not your, uh, you know, skyscrapers in New York city, it's, it's your malls as well. A lot, a lot can be, yeah. Commercial real estate. All right, Jerry. Well, the last time we had you on, it was two weeks ago. I think, believe it was two days before the Archegus blowout or, uh, started. And I haven't really had a chance. I don't think people really heard, had a chance to hear what you make of that. You know, that story, a lot of people have talked about it, but you were talking about leverage as uh, the sword that cuts both ways. So, you know, can you give us an overview of what happened with Archegos, your take on it? And then I want to move on to, to the, the retail. But first, what do you think about Archegos? Well, I don't know how much I can add that hasn't already been said, but I'll try. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, they were using too much leverage. And there's a lot of speculation that other hedge funds employ similar amount of leverage. Uh, you know, when that happened, I'm sure all the prime brokers looked at all their client positions and forced them to cut it back or whatever. So, I, you know, I really I don't think there's there's more risk lurking out there. I don't think there's going to be a second or third blow up. I don't think it's the I don't think cockroach theory applies here. You know, I think the bigger story is actually about risk management at the prime broker level. 
Um, you know, that's that's something that, you know, if if you're head of risk at one of these firms, that's something that you should have identified as a possible risk uh, ahead of time. So th- I, th- I think the story is really about risk management. Okay. So that's it on the institutional side. Now, what do you think about leverage when it comes to the retail trader? We have a chart uh, from, from FINRA that the amount of margin debt in U.S. accounts is now in excess of $800 billion, and it's steadily been on the rise. In order to you know in, get exposure to the rising stock market, people have been using leverage. If leverage is the, a double-edged sword, a sword that cuts both ways, what does that mean for the retail trader? Well, what does that chart look like on a long-term basis? Is that like the all-time highs or was it? It is, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that. Um, I mean, the good news is that Reg T margin is only two to one. Um, you know, but, it, you know, I've seen charts of uh, margin debt before and, you know, typically they peak around the tops of the markets. But the problem is, is that, you just you just don't know what the top is going to be. Margin debt could go higher. Uh, I do remember that back in 2000, margin debt was also very high. So you know, I I personally I don't use leverage. I posted a quote on Twitter the other day from Buffett. You know, if you're smart, you don't need it, and if you're dumb, you shouldn't be using it. There we go, uh, Jared. As so, I think we've covered some key topics here. Now I want to get a sense of how you're. You know, gauging the market sentiment. That I, I understand that market sentiment is something that you really, in particular, pay attention to. What are the different narratives, the different sentiments that that you're observing as as you will watch this market? Uh, I mean, I think there's, you know, we're not we're not at a peak of sentiment. Let's put it that way. Uh, we're not we're not at a sentiment peak. Um, but I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Um, there's a certain inevitability about this. You know what I mean? Like there's sometimes when you're trading, it just kind of seems like everybody knows it's going higher. Right. And I was actually like, we, I kind of had that feeling about oil back when it was around 40 or 50 bucks. Like the supply dynamic, the supply demand dynamics were such that like everybody knew it was going higher. And, and it went higher. And it kind of feels that way with stocks right now. So, you know, there, I don't really see any very vocal bears out there. Um, but at the same time, there isn't like there isn't this this explosion of bullish sentiment. So it, it just kind of feels like it's going to be a slow grind higher for however long. Um, that's what it feels like to me. Okay, and how are you thinking about the value versus growth? I know that you are very constructive on, on value relative to growth, but it seems like growth stocks have proved more resilient in the face of rising bond yields than they did, let's say, a month ago. So what are you seeing in terms of the sentiments? You know, a month ago it was, oh, growth stocks are, they, they're, you know, going, rising yields are kryptonite to growth stocks. Now it's a little bit more complicated. How are you gauging that? Uh, well, let me put it this way. I mean, yeah, growth has outperformed, I would say, in the last two weeks. Um, I'm not really nimble enough to be switching factors every two weeks to take care of, to, to like take advantage of outperformance. You know, back in, I think, October, November, when the Pfizer vaccine was announced, I mean, that's when I made the call that I was switching to value. 
And I think that's going to work for a number of years, and I still do. So I'm kind of like not really focused on the short-term fluctuations of this. Um, you know, I, I still think rates are going higher, you know, as, as I said before. And if you think rates are going to 2.5%, uh, you, you want to be long value over growth. And I just try not to get uh, too wrapped up in the noise. There we go. So, Jared, you think bond yields are going to increase. You think inflation and inflation expectations are going to increase. Which increases more? Because that ultimately affects the real yield on which many people think that you know, gold uh, actually hinges. Gold is really influenced by real yield. And that is an asset that I know you uh, is close to your heart. And this is something you feel strongly. So how are you thinking about gold as yields rise alongside inflation break-evens? Well, you know, gold responds to a bunch of different things. And one of the things gold responds to is deficits. Uh, a lot of people think gold is an inflation hedge. It's not really. It's sort of a special asset. Uh, also, it, it trades like crap. And I'm not really focused on the short term with that. I've held it for 16 years and I'm going to continue to hold it. So, um, but yeah, I, to answer your original question, uh, I think inflation and inflation expectations rise higher than, rise faster than interest rates. So, Jared, we started filming just before 2 p.m. when the Fed released their FOMC meeting. So I'm just uh, reading from it now that the Federal Reserve officials last month saw it taking some time before the conditions would be met for scaling back their massive asset purchase program. So, Jared, it seems like the $120 billion per month uh, is, going to, is going to be here for quite some time. Uh, what's, what, you know, as, we, as we reach to a close, what can you say about... Um, you know, that, that, that uh, stimulus? I, I can't say anything that's going to make anybody feel any better. I mean, uh, the economy is red hot. We're printing 900,000 jobs. Uh, the unemployment rate is dropping. And yet we're still doing max amounts of quantitative easing, which was supposed to be an emergency measure. And now it's not an emergency anymore. And we're still doing it. And we're going to be doing it for who knows how long, maybe the next 12 to 24 months. So there's there's nothing funny about it. By the time they get around to hiking rates, it will be time to cut rates again. And you know, the Fed as an institution has gotten dumber over time. You know, so I grew up during the Greenspan Fed. And you know, Greenspan sort of has a mixed reputation, but I love Greenspan. I thought he was great. And one of the reasons he was great was he was he was very proactive. And he acted preemptively if he thought that inflation was going to rise. You know, so like I said, if 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 ISM printed over 50, they would just hike rates. Sometimes they would do an intermediate rate hike. It would be a surprise rate hike. Like, I mean, so the Fed was very nimble and they acted very proactively. This Fed is like, it's it's like the evergreen container ship. Like it just takes forever to turn. You know, it, it takes three years for them to change. It's it's a joke. So and, and that's I'm not that's that, that's not comments like specifically on monetary policy. That's comments on the Fed as an institution being just institutionally unable to react to data as it comes in. So, Jared, how do you think that ends um, if the Federal Reserve keeps on uh, its bond purchases for way too long? They keep their Fed funds rate low for way too long. Obviously, you think it's inflation, but is there going to be any backlash to that? Any, any uh, you know, uh, negative consequences that come from that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is this is all kind of new, right? Like, 
you know, I, when I was a kid, when I was like eight years old, uh, we were coming off that inflation. This was 1982. So inflation was still 10, 12 percent. And, you know, I, I do remember at that time that people complained a lot about inflation. You know, if inflation, if CPI really got to like six or eight percent, people would start complaining about it and we would start having serious discussions about what to do about it. But the problem is, is that the Fed is supposed to be vigilant and we're not supposed to ever get to that point. Right. So, you know, now we'll get to the point of maximum pain before anybody does anything about it. A lot to think about for sure. Jared, thanks so much for uh, coming on The Daily Briefing. Talk soon. All right. Thanks. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.